Welcome listeners. I'm so excited to be recording this episode all about family photography, one of my favorite topics since I was a family photographer back in the day. But I knew I needed to bring a guest on to help me with this discussion. So today we have Jody Lynn Buckles from Jody Lynn Photography joining us. We are going to be discussing legal clauses that you should have in your family photography contract, things that Jody didn't have when she first started as a family photographer that she does have in her contracts now, sticky situations you want to avoid when having families as your main clientele, as well as pricing your family photography competitively and how to upsell to your clients, but also ensure while you're upselling that you're clear about those upsells at the time of booking and when your clients sign the contract at the beginning. So let me tell you first a little bit about my guest, Jody. So Jody Lynn is a mother to four precious souls. She's a wife to a loving mountain man, a daughter, an emotive family and motherhood photographer, and educator. She lives in beautiful Sonoma County, California, and soon to be moving to Northern Idaho. She is passionate about creating living poetry with her imagery, and nothing fills her heart more than producing meaningful art that truly tells unique, tangible stories of connection, beauty, and truth. Photography has really been a way for Jodi to foster and share love with others and to be genuine with her craft. Seeing that true human connection and significance in her work and with whom she teaches makes her heart sing. And Jodi hopes to inspire others to do some soul searching and find their true why. So my friend Jody Lynn mentors other photographers in creating the business of their dreams, setting them up for success, supporting them in attracting their ideal client, providing excellent client communication and a true experience. And she does all of this while producing meaningful work that is representative of the unique heartfelt stories we tell. So I knew when I first met Jody last year at a conference in 2021 that I had to have her on the podcast. I am so excited she is joining us today. And she's going to be the perfect mentor and expert guest on all things family photography as we dig into this topic. So let's do it, my friends. You're listening to the Legal Page Podcast, where we chat about life and business with a legal twist. I'm Paige, attorney and photographer helping online businesses and creatives tackle their business dreams without breaking out in hives. No more legal mumbo jumbo. This podcast features simple bite-sized advice that'll have you legally legit in no time. Are you ready? Let's get started. As a reminder, before we get into this episode, I am legally obligated to give my disclaimer. I am an attorney, but I am not your attorney. All legal information I talk about in this episode is intended for the masses and a large variety of different businesses. Please seek out another attorney in your city and home state if you need specific legal advice related to your unique business. Okay, let's get back to it. Friends, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. Jody is here with me to talk all about family photography and contracts and some sticky situations that you want to avoid as a family photographer. Jody, thank you so much for joining us. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me, Paige. I'm so happy to be here. I have been 
really, really looking forward to recording this episode with you. Jody and I met last summer in person. We've known each other online for a while, but it's just so fun to kind of get to know your virtual friends in person. And we like hit it off right away. We were at a conference together, the Evolve Conference. And I just remember standing outside and talking with you for like an hour. Um, And then you're like, man, where did the time go? But Jody, I know. Yeah, I would love for you to introduce yourself to everyone here and kind of your backstory. Absolutely. Thanks so much again for having me. I am a family and motherhood photographer. I'm in Sonoma County, which is in Northern California, a little bit north of San Francisco. And I kind of stumbled in photography. I used to be a school teacher. Before that, I um, worked at a magazine in San Francisco. So I've sort of always had a creative heart and an interest in the arts but never really looked at doing it as a job. So I had three kids at the time and it was just so much to be gone every day, you know, teaching away from my own children. And I decided it was time to quit and make a change. So I ended up leaving teaching and sort of stumbled into photography. I had a DSLR camera. I just kind of used it to shoot my own children. And I started posting on Facebook a lot. And so that's when Facebook was, you know, really big about eight years ago. I'm about eight years right now. And just started posting photos that I had taken of my own kids. And next thing you know, like their friends' parents were asking me to photograph their kids. And it just sort of like snowballed. And I feel so fortunate it did. And the greatest part about it is that photography has come so much more, has become so much more than that for me. It really is just an amazing role. I get to, you know, watch my families grow up. I get to do something I absolutely love. And I get to produce heirlooms for families. I don't know how much better it gets than that. So, so yeah, I mean, I've definitely had a roller coaster ride that's been awesome. And there's been valleys and there's been peaks. So it will be really fun to share a little bit about, you know, what has worked for me on that legal side and what hasn't. Yeah. And as a you know, previous school teacher too. I can one, hear it in your voice. And two, (laughs) I'm like, you would be so good at family photography just because of your (laughs) teaching background. But I want to let everyone know right now, if you've never heard of Jodi Lynn, one, I don't know what you're doing. But two, (laughs) I want you to just jump on Instagram real quick and go to Jodi Lynn Photography and it's J-O-D-I-L-Y-N-N Photography on Instagram. Go find her and just like scroll for like a second as you're listening to this episode because it will really give you a good (laughs) starting point on her phenomenal storytelling when it comes to photography and her, I mean, I'm blown away by your photography every time I see it. And I think it's like the pinnacle of what family photography and, you know, maternity photography should be in my opinion. But obviously my opinion is my opinion and I'm biased. (laughs) I just want everyone to like start out this episode kind of knowing who you are and looking at your imagery Uh, as we get going, because I think it really like just grounds people with who you are and, you know, what you do with your photography business. It's not just photography. There's so much more, like you said, it's, it's a whole album. It's a whole, you know, memory for people. So with that being said, you know, you kind of started posting photos on Facebook. I I started like eight to 10 years ago as well. And I totally remember the Facebook (laughs) world. Yeah, it was like, 
it was the thing back then. <laughs> it was such a thing. And I just remember, yeah, you could get your business rolling just by posting things on, you know, Facebook and not even a Facebook page, like just your personal, you know, right. you know, like right. a post on your personal account. But yeah. how did you how did you really niche down into I know you do a ton of maternity photography and then you yeah. do, you know, family sessions as well. Do you have one you like more or why why do you choose why did you choose those two as like the only ones you're going to photograph now? You know, I uh, I started mostly with actually child portrait photography because mm. my own my older three were young. I was taking pictures of them. They were between the ages of like 2 and 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I really started with that and then kind of moved more into families. And then it was really the pinnacle for me is when I got pregnant again, our, our sort of surprise last pregnancy, my son um, Hendrix will be four end of February, end of this month, actually like in three weeks. And I just realized how important that part of my life had been. And I had never had a maternity session until I had him. And I'm so glad I finally, you know, got one. But I guess I just sort of was able to hone in on what moments were most meaningful to me. And I've been really fortunate that I've been able to turn that into a business. And I really think, you know, when you're thinking about sharing your work or sharing your heart or almost advertising, so to speak, if you're sharing the work that most resonates with you, people see that and they feel that. And that's what makes them want to hire you. So I really have just really honed in on really sharing the maternity work and the family work that moves me to get mm-hmm. those, to attract those clients that I want. Yeah. And I don't know if you recall, but when I was pregnant, I, one, wanted you to photograph oh, my maternity I photos. I'm so, I think... I'm so sad about that. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, you're totally fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Montana. You're in California. Like it wasn't going to work out, but... Um, <laughs> we tried. We tried. <laughs> we tried. Um, but one of the things that Jody and I were DMing back and forth on Instagram about at the time was how important it is to niche down for certain things like this. Because I felt like I couldn't find someone in my area that was specializing in kind of maternity and then like lifestyle newborn or, you know, I could the continuity of working with a photographer that obviously I would probably showcase the images around my house and then be able to like have someone that I knew was going to take the most epic maternity photos because it's one time in my life that I would have little Vaughn inside of me and could capture that moment. And I had a really hard time in Montana finding someone that just niched down in that, which is interesting because I know that's not the case in like California where you're at, but I, I don't think people totally understand the power in niching down to that extent because I didn't want someone that like also did engagement photos and also did wedding photos. I was like, am I even going to get the, you know, images that I really want? Or is this a one-off that they have posted, you know, in their Instagram feed of this beautiful maternity photo? Maybe that's only like the perfect lighting and the perfect day and they decided to post it. I don't know what the rest of their galleries look like. So I just wanted to touch on that at the beginning of this episode that, you know, Jody and I really do have the same belief system that, only shooting like one or two things as a photographer is okay. Like you don't have to do it all, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, when I first started, I did try it all, right? But that's part of exploring and Absolutely. finding what you're good at and what you're passionate about. And and I think sometimes when you try to do it all, it's hard for you to really become a master in your mm. craft. 
And if that's really your goal is to really know that one genre inside and out and feel it, I think just honing in to what you feel most passionate about will make the greatest impact in your work, in your business, just all across the board. So for me, it was instrumental in helping me, you know, just sort of grow my business. And also I'm doing a lot of teaching now. So being able to hone in on what can I best teach to other photographers and how can I best be of service to them? Yeah. And people are going to want to learn from an educator that's not teaching them like, here are the eight different types of sessions you can host. (laughs) It's like, here's what you do. Here's how you, you know, like only really cater to that ideal client. Here's how you can elevate your brand. So you're more high end within that niche. And we're going to get into that in this episode. So I'm glad we started out with that question. (laughs) Me too. Okay. So just legally speaking, let's touch on this real quick as we, as we get going here. So contracts, right? Like I think everybody has portrait contracts. That's like a base contract that you have in your legal toolkit. And one of our base contracts in the legal page shop is our family and couples contract, because it's really our, you know, I would say most standard portrait contract. But I have learned that, you know, asking seasoned business owners like yourself is is a good idea for newer photographers or people just a couple of years in business to really think to, you know, like what is actually in your base photography <laughs> contract? What are a few things that you have now in your family photography contract that you wish you had when you started, Jody? Oh, goodness. So... You know, I didn't even have a contract my first year in business because I wasn't really sure where I was going. I was sort of feeling things out. Um, and I was mostly shooting friends and family, but that's a whole nother conversation because you even need a contract with friends. Right. <laughs> I would say the things that have come up, you know, in the last several years that weren't originally in my first contract that I, I don't even know where I had purchased it, but it was a photography contract. One thing I think is really important to have in there is your editing time frame. I'm finding that even if you're really transparent and you have all of that on your website or it's in in your contract, people don't always read that. So I am just such a busy mother and a business owner and that constant back and forth with clients about when will my images be ready or this or that. And just having that time frame in there is helpful for me in knowing when I need to finish up you know, their gallery. Mm-hmm. And also I think it gives them an expectation instead of wondering, you know, when their gallery will arrive. So that was one that has come up a few times that I'm really glad is in there and it's more towards the top. I also talk about that in my email before they book, just so they know what to expect. I think people don't understand the amount of time that goes into editing on the back end. So I always want to make sure I'm open that, you know, I won't have your images in two days. It's going to be a bit of time and that they know that. So that was a big one for me that took me a while to incorporate and make sure it was written in stone in there. Yeah. And I love that you talk about too, like how it's in your contract, right? So you can always go back to it and explain like delivery of images and online galleries and when they can expect everything. That's the groundwork, right? The base level of setting that expectation for your clients. And then the consistent communication that you have with them. I talk about this all the time. Like you can't just have it in your contract, right? Like, and yeah. especially you're dealing with busy, you're a busy mom, but you're dealing with busy moms for family yes. photography. Yes. And yes. we are as moms now, I am one. And so I can totally relate. Like we uh, we had this beautiful family session. And of course, we're just antsy to get the photos. And we want to like, 
see everything as quickly as possible. But setting those expectations from the get-go is so important because then you're not going to have that continual back and forth with clients. And we have all been there if you've shot family photography. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, just I'm excited about their images and I want to make sure they know that, but that Mm -hmm. they're also not expecting them like in a day or two, (laughs) that it's going to take a bit of time for me to go through them. Another one that I didn't have in my contract, I mean, I think I did, but it was very simple verbiage. And now it's gotten a little bit more detailed is how my clients can share their images on social media and, and my hope that they'll tag me. Yeah. It sounds like a small thing, but you know, I've run into clients who have put terrible filters on my images and then tagged me or, you know, maybe taken the preview I'd share with them and shared it, but not the high resolution. So it looks mm-hmm. terrible. And I just want to make sure that the work that we create together is representative of what, what we got. And I, and I want it to look, you know, the best it can. So making sure that I'm, you know, delivering a preview that's high resolution that they can use if they're really excited. And then just kind of going over when they do share, you know, just how it's very great if they can tag me and not use a filter. So that's another one that's come up for me. And I'm sure I'm not alone there. No, you're not alone. (laughs) I think we probably, I mean, we just had something in the Facebook group this morning about like not tagging correctly for copyright purposes. And this is like a constant everyday thing for photographers. But I also love that, again, it's in your contract, but you're really working with your clients to ensure they understand the why or the because behind it. And that I have found is one of the things that is an assumption that's honestly, you know, back in middle school when they say, you know, assuming makes an ass of you and me to like, I mean, not to (laughs) like use that metaphor, but to use that metaphor Um, and sorry for my, you know, ASS word that I just said in a podcast, but, um, I think it's important because we, we just think a certain way as photographers and sometimes we forget that we're working with humans (laughs) and humans like don't fully understand. And if it's like a consumer and they're just like, on, you know, they're a customer of ours. They're on social media for different reasons. They don't understand the why or the because. Like why we need you to tag us. Why this is important for word of mouth and, you know, Instagram referrals. Why like me working so hard on the editing is important that that comes across crystal clear and you not just screenshotting something and posting it online and, you know, using filters and just telling them the because will mm-hmm. easily mm-hmm. inform people like why you would prefer them to do it a different way. And then if they are just told what to do, I've really learned this. If you don't give them instructions, they will do it however they want to do it. But if you do give them instructions, they will take note and they will do it the way that you have asked them to if you do it kindly. So yeah, I love that you brought that up too in your contract. Absolutely. And also, you know, I get a little protective over my art. So Mm -hmm. just being able to work with them and make sure that, you know, they're portraying it the right way and I'm portraying it the right way is, it's just a part of the business. So it is. Another thing that I know is part of the business and you've probably dealt with, I'd love your feedback on. And we hear this over and over again from family photographers, honestly, from any photographer, to be very honest with you. (laughs) is clients coming back, right, years later and asking for their images from X session. Because people, we can tell them a bazillion times how many 
<laughs> how important it is for them to download and yeah. put it on their external hard drive, but then they just don't, right? So having yeah. an archiving clause mm-hmm. in your contract is really important. We found it's in all of our photography contracts because mm-hmm. after you delivered images, you know, what do you do with raw files? What do you do with your external hard drives? And how long are they in some like cloud-based backup system? And how long are their online galleries available to download? I have learned, and I'd love your take on this. In my experience, I've done this for 10 plus years. And now I'm a lawyer behind all of this, you know, photography world stuff and wedding industry world stuff. I have found that when you have unending downloadable times, like (laughs) it's just available forever, they will never do it. And then you're on the hook forever. And I'm like, well, what happens if you like shut your business down? Or what happens if like your credit card doesn't get processed correctly on this online platform and then all of your galleries are locked and now you've got upset customers? I mean, you have to give people deadlines to download. Also, that should not be, in my opinion, put on you as the photographer to keep them up forever and ever and ever. What is your take on that in terms of, you know, how long do you allow people to download images and what is your like communication efforts with them to get them to do it as quickly as possible? That's such a good thing to touch on. Um, So I use PickTime as my client delivery system. I love, I just love their platform and I'm Mm -hmm. a very visual person, clearly. So just visually, it's really beautiful. When my, when my galleries are delivered, they have, they actually have three full months to download mm-hmm. and to make orders. Um, I have different automated emails that go out through PickTime that remind them. I believe it's after month one, month two, and then another one goes out when they have one more week to download and order. And I feel like that's plenty of, you know, yeah. plenty of reminders. I do. I do actually pay for unlimited storage with PickTime. I have kind of an interesting situation. I live in a county where we've had, in 2017, we had terrible fires where whole communities were ravaged. We know many people that lost their home. So after that experience, I ended up resending tons of galleries out to people that literally lost their homes. Mm -hmm. So I do pay for unlimited storage with PickTime. I don't necessarily think that's critical for every photographer. I think you just sort of have to weigh what works for you and your business. But it doesn't mean I give them unlimited access. So in my contract, um, the galleries are up for three months and they get plenty of reminders to download. However, if there was um, an emergency or someone lost everything, I would be able to deliver those images. So it actually serves as almost my last backup. So I have my, you know, my external drives, but pick time for me has become my last backup if I were to lose everything. So, so again, my situation is a little different, but, but I do have in my contract that they have three months and I make sure I check in. I also make a point to really talk about um, prints and products and their galleries at the session. So they kind of know that next step and what that looks like. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, a big part of running a business when you are a client-based business is educating your clients on what, you know, what everything's going to look like. So they know when to receive the gallery, what it's going to look like that they need to download in the email that goes out with it. I'm like, I am here if you need me, you know, please email me if you have any questions. So just being that resource for them to help streamline, right? Everything. Yeah. Okay. Two things I want to touch on here because I think it's really yes. important. 
The first is communicating with your clients at the session, what to expect next. I had like a spiel that I used to give after family sessions where it was like, I I knew it like the back of my hand. I knew they (laughs) wanted answers to when do we get to see these photos And I always told them like, oh, there's a great way, you know, there's, it's, I'm going to send you emails once you get the gallery on how, you know, to purchase images. And then I always tell them too, like, this is the best way you're with them in that moment. And you can look them in the eye and you've just had an hour session with them or whatever. You've gotten to know each other pretty well. You've probably had some giggles. You've probably had some like, you know, just (laughs) situations where you're like getting comfortable with one another. And now is the perfect time to sell them on stuff versus just selling them in an email. And I would always tell people like, you know, I use XYZ printing company and it prints professional high quality images way better than you're going to get at Walmart or Costco or Target. And I just like lay it out for them on a platter. I would highly recommend you spend the extra few dollars for a five by seven um, on my website. And it's all very you know, self-explanatory and easy. And if you ever have any questions, yeah, just email me. And then I also tell people like, once you get the link, you will have, you know, three months to download your images, but don't worry, I'm going to send you reminders. Like all of that, one, sets them up for success. (laughs) Two, of course, I always tell them when to expect it, right? I say, oh, you know, in my contract, it usually says, you know, this is the maximum amount of time that you would have to wait right now. And then I just tell them like, I am a human right now. I have 10 sessions before you that still need to be edited. So please don't expect it in the next week or two. I wish I could get it to you by then, but I just physically can't. So just setting them up for success right at the end of your session and you're right there with them in person. So that's the first thing I wanted to talk about and I love or touch on that you mentioned. And the second thing I wanted to say is, I think 90 days is perfect. I I think you got to give people not a month. You got to give them a little bit more than that. I think a year is too long because it's just drawn out and people will never download their images. And they're going to forget because... If they just have it online forever, they're they're gonna like forget that you and them were communicating 12 months from now and then they get this weird notification and then they're really stressed out about it. Mm-hmm. So I don't like a year, but in your contract, you need to explain, you know, you have 90 days to download your images. I will send you notifications. And then if you ever need to unarchive your session, you know, the as long as I have them available to unarchive, and it's you want to make sure in your contract that you aren't guaranteeing that you can unarchive photos because something could happen. Like Jody says, of course you want to keep things on a cloud-based system. You want to you want to do it multiple ways, right? You want to have it on an external hard drive, but if something were to happen to that external hard drive, you want to have it on a cloud. And then you want to make sure that you're notifying your clients a bazillion times to download their images. All three need to happen as a photographer. But if they ask to unarchive, say in two years or three years or four years, I literally, Jody, just had my first wedding ever ask me to unarchive their images. This was like nine years ago. I kid you not, they Facebook messaged me. Yeah, I wouldn't even have those. Yeah. Well, yeah. I did. I don't know how, it, but it That's took me. Amazing. It took me how time. Many, how many like, hard drives did you have to go through? Exactly. How like, many? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Hitting the nail on the head. I was like, "Oh shoot! I have to go through fifteen <laughs> hard drives right now 
from like the year 2010 to 2015. Like, let me, good luck, Paige. I did find them. But what I'm saying is in your contract, you need to have a fee for unarchiving because there's the situations like mine where people will come back and ask, you know, to unarchive their photos, something happened and they don't have them anymore. Like that happens more often than we'd like to think as photographers, but you can also waive that provision. So I could charge someone $250 for my time because it's going to take me probably hours to find those photos on a hard drive. But in Jody's situation too, like natural disasters occur, things happen. It's an emergency. Like then Jody is, you know, the godsend, the angel that comes (laughs) down to all these mothers and is like, no problem, here are your images. And she's not charging them. So just because you have it in your contract, one, you can fall back on it. If it's just kind of a lazy client, it's just, you know, I don't really know how else to say that. But there's also situations where you get to be the, you know, the good, the good guy in the situation as well. So yeah, anything else on that subject that you'd like to touch on before we move on? Gosh, no, I mean, I definitely have an archival fee as I I don't really know how many times I've actually asked someone to pay it, but it's there for someone that maybe has taken advantage of my time. And, and I, you know, through the years, I've learned that as much as I love my job and my career, time is money. So just having those small things on the back end in your contract to make sure you're not, I guess, getting taken advantage of and that you're running a smooth business is so important. Yeah. And that's why I always tell people like, don't just not have a contract with family photography because I so I will say, especially family photography, <laughs> um, you've you've got this precious moment in time for these people and especially parents who they will treasure those photos forever and ever. But along with that comes sometimes disgruntled customers. Like they may not like the way they look or like their kids aren't smiling and looking at the camera or, you know, just something happens. I, I just feel like there's always more that could go wrong with family photography than like a wedding. Like people know, like it's a, it's a, it's a wedding. Like we know the photos we're going to get at a wedding we know things happen, but family photography, I would just say, comes with a, lo- a lot more uh, yucky territory that you want to be prepared for with your clients. It does. it does. And I really think too, like structuring your business so you're attracting the client that's meant for you will mm-hmm. make that whole back end so much smoother. Anytime I've had a disgruntled client or you know a challenge, I feel like maybe ultimately they weren't my client. So just being a little bit better and a little smarter and a little more intuitive about how and who I'm booking has helped me a lot too. To like not have those challenges. Not that they don't come up because they do, but luckily I have my contract to fall back on, right? Yes, yes, exactly. So I'd love to know if this is something you've run into before because I've also seen lots of photographers talk about this. Photographing minors is an everyday thing with family photographers, right? So you usually have one parent book And I would assume both parents aren't signing the contract. That's pretty commonplace in the family photography industry is, you know, mom or dad or mom, mom is in the session or dad, dad is in the session. And one of them is kind of the primary communicator with you. And one of them is probably the one signing the contract on the bottom dotted line upon booking. 
So do you have a clause in your contract for photographing minors and they're kind of giving you a model release on behalf of the entire family, like as the legal parent or guardian? And have you ever had any weird situations come up with like the parents or anything along those lines? And if you haven't, I have a story to add, which is why I'm asking this. (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, I don't have both parents sign the contract. I actually hadn't really thought about that. So I'd love, I'm excited to hear more about this. And I don't have any sort of minor consent, but when I've done work with like a local boutique, a children's boutique, then I did have a model release for minors, but I haven't incorporated that into my family sessions or my senior sessions. I would like to hear about that. Yeah. So it's really easy. I mean, it's just in your model release clause, you're essentially making sure that in the contract or invoice or like, you know, project that you're creating in your CRM system, you just have a place that is, you know, must be filled, right? It's like an asterisk that has to be filled out prior to them completing the, you know, contract and the booking. I make sure that family photographers are having the legal parent or guardian list all of the minors that will be present at the family session. And then the model release clause in there explains that all of the, all of the minors that are listed above, I, you know, give a full model release to the photographer to be able to post images of those minors online. I think that's really, really important for family photographers. And it's okay if you haven't done it in the past. Like I always tell people, what what a great thing to learn from a podcast episode that's super easy to implement on the back end of your business. So that's that's the first thing I always tell family photographers to do is I think there's usually just like a basic model release clause in contracts. And yes. if you don't, if you don't have it very specifically spelled out mm-hmm. and in your contract, who that model release is for in the images, okay. then technically they're just signing the model release on behalf of them. But there's a lot of, you know, like arguments to be made that, you know, the parent signed the model release, they knew who was going to be in the photos And they're giving you the full rights to do that. So I'm not worried about family photographers that don't have this in there. I'm just like, this is a really good way to ensure you're extra protected. Ready to ensure your maternity and family photography business is legally legit? Shop our maternity, newborn, and family photography collection filled with lawyer-drafted, easy-to-use legal products that'll cover all the what-if situations you might encounter with your clients. Alongside industry pros, we here at The Legal Page have drafted a comprehensive family photography contract ready for you to use when booking any type of family session with your clients along with specific contracts for maternity and newborn photography. Our maternity contract includes provisions related to pregnancy and maternity, and if the baby comes early than expected, and how to transfer funds paid to another session if that does occur. Our newborn photography contract has specific provisions related to the session being baby-led, when the session shall take place after delivery, when the photographer needs to be informed of the delivery to ensure proper scheduling of the session, and much more. Just go to thelegalpage.com forward slash mom and baby for information on all of these template contracts. We've also created an exclusive bundle for you if you're a family, maternity, and newborn photographer with all three of these contracts available for you at a discounted rate. Again, that's thelegalpage.com forward slash mom and baby. Okay. 
back to the episode. Now, in terms of the thing I was going to say with the double parent signing, I think it's overly cumbersome to have two parents sign. But I just want to bring it to everybody's attention, this situation that occurred uh, with a photographer that I know here in the United States. And it ended up kind of being a nightmare, to be frank. And I just don't want people to experience this or to ensure that they're they have like all their legal ducks in a row if this were to ever happen. So usually if one parent sign, which makes sense, like who who has time to get both parents' emails and both parents to sign? And even if you get both parents' emails, probably one of them is just going to go open that email and sign on behalf of them anyway. Yeah, Yeah. so I'm like, you're fine with just one client signature. But this situation involved a mom and a dad who got divorced. And one, the, the mother was the one who booked the session and signed mm. the model release. And then the father, during their divorce settlement, decided to be quite yucky. And you see this all the time in uh, family law, which is super unfortunate. And it's just yeah. one of those things that we're like, oh, we would, like, as photographers, why would you ever think that the family could split up later on? Like, you just don't think that, right? Like, you're just taking beautiful photos of the family and we're not thinking about the repercussions down the road. Well, this is a reality that a lot of people face where, you know, two, three, four, five, I don't know, six months down the road, there could be turmoil and the family could be splitting up. And one of the parents was not okay with the children's images being online and also didn't want themselves in the images anymore of the family. And so... This session, I think, was one of their like most highly viewed sessions and was in a location that brought them lots of additional clients. So people had seen these images. Uh-huh. It's got tons of SEO, you know, traffic to their website. And they were like, well, what do I do? Like they signed the model release, but now this other parent is basically revoking the model release, <laughs> but oh, they didn't sign the contract. And they were just like stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like, I I don't know what to do in this situation. So that is something I just want people to maybe check in with their photography business and be like, would it behoove me to have both parents sign? Or would it be too much work? I think it's too much work. But I also think you need to just be prepared for situations like that, where I don't want you banking on one session to carry your photography business. Because the answer here, legally speaking, was you got to take down the photos. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, there was no other answer for me to give them besides don't get pulled into this legal battle, my friend. Like, just no, respect these people's privacy. They're dealing with something else um, entirely. You don't want to be caught in the middle of it. They had, you know, like, honestly, like digital takedown orders and notifications from attorneys. And I was like, well, you just, you need to follow those and you need to take the photos down. So just be aware of that, that even if one party signs the contract and model release on behalf of the whole family, that there is the potential for revocability in the future. And that's kind of how I wanted to end that little story there is people just need to be prepared for the what if scenarios that could occur down the road. Absolutely. 
I now am really want to look at my contract with you <laughs> when the time is right and maybe incorporate that because I honestly, I don't, I haven't had a situation like that and I haven't even really thought about that, but that's important. I think it's important to kind of think about the what ifs. It is. And you know, like I said, it's the 0.05% chance that that could occur, but it did happen for a photographer and it really left them feeling yucky. And now they were getting bad, you know, communication letters and emails from a client that didn't even sign the contract, right? Like it wasn't even their client. It just happened to snowball into a big issue. So just to avoid those things with contracts and also to be prepared for nuancing your contract or changing things or, you know, waiving certain provisions in your contract down the road, because you just might have to. Yeah. So switching gears from all things legal, because people are probably like, okay, Paige, stop talking to me about my contracts. (laughs) They are important, you guys. That's why I talk about them. That's why you're listening to this podcast episode, Um, (laughs) because it is the legal page podcast. But Jody, I want to talk about pricing because it also has to deal with, you know, communication and clauses in your contract. But Mm -hmm. it's important for people to price their family sessions competitively in the market that they're in to ensure, like you said, that you're getting those ideal clients that are as invested in you as they are, you know, as you are in them and they are in your photos and vice versa. So how do you adequately balance that difference between what some people would want to pay for a session versus kind of your more high-end brand and the ideal clients that you're trying to attract? Yeah. You know, I think pricing is just always one of those subjects that's tough because we all have such different life experiences. We live in different areas. We have different budgets. I mean, there's so many pieces to it. But I am one of those photographers that did kind of learn the hard way. I think I came out the gate after just mostly shooting my kids and kind of slowly working with friends and family. I came out the gate at like 200 or 250, which is very low for, you know, for the amount of hours um, I was putting into these sessions. But I learned rather quickly that my time was extremely valuable. So I would say, you know, a couple years later, I kept kind of slowly inching up. And finally, I did something that was so instrumental for my business. We actually sat down, my husband and I, with our um, accountant. And we did a cost of doing business mm. for me. So we looked at Every, all the hours, like every single hour I spend working, what that looks like on a on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, what that looks like for each session. And then we listed all of my expenses and we had her help me come up with really what is my cost of doing business and what should I be charging to have a livable income and an income based on the experience I have. And that was the best thing I ever did, to be really honest, just to have someone else tell me You know, that if you want to make this much per hour or this much per year, you need to be charging this much. Um, And, you know, I'll be really honest in sharing. I'm still not, I'm still not charging what she recommended. And that was a few years ago. Hmm. So, and the reason for that, I I definitely am a higher price point in the area I live in. But, um, you know, we, we work really hard, my husband and I, for the life we've created. And so I guess I do have a little bit of empathy, you know, and I really want to tell those stories of families like us. So I have kept my prices still at a high point, but I'm comfortable, you know, where they are right now. We'll see how I feel in a year or so. But I think you're doing yourself a disservice when you don't look at your business as a business. Yeah. You don't think about how incredibly hard you're working and how you need to be compensated 
for that time. The other thing to go along with pricing is I have found the higher my prices have gotten, I have found a client who's more invested. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're going to charge a low price, you're probably going to get someone that really doesn't care as much because that wasn't a big investment for them, right? So when my clients are knowing that they're investing in me, like they're more interested in spending more time talking about wardrobe, they're, they want to really go to a different location. It's kind of helped me level up my work by having clients that are truly, truly investing in me and are really, really excited for the end product. So, so number one, pricing myself. So I can, you know, make a, a, a wage that can support my family or, you know, make a salary. And then number two, upping that pricing has just been instrumental for me in attracting the right people. Oh, all this is so good. Your evolution of pricing is beautiful (laughs) to talk about and how it's changed over the years. You guys, I used to take photos for like $100 a session. Like we've all been there. It's totally fine. You have to start somewhere. You do, you do the thing that really hit home the most when you said this is like attracting your ideal client and making sure you're pricing it accordingly, but not too high. Um, Because I think people get fixated on, oh, this is what this super high-end photographer is is pricing their sessions at. So I want to be like just below it. But then it's like, (laughs) what? well, do you have the network that they do in terms of getting people to pay that price? And like right. you said, this is this is where I was too when I was in Montana shooting family photography is just the median income of yeah. my yeah. ideal clients was, it yeah. wasn't as high as I would love to have priced my photography at, but there was just no way I was going to be booking enough sessions to obviously make the amount of money that I wanted. So it's really like massaging it and looking at your numbers. And like you said, lots of people don't work in their business, you know, and like really look at it from with a fine tooth comb. They're just kind of like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Let's charge $300 for a family session. Okay. First of all, you guys, business-wise take off 30, 25 to 30% of that for taxes. (laughs) So start there. Yeah. It's like 30% here in California. Yeah. Yeah, you're charging. I mean, let's say you're at that 500 mark. You're only coming home with 375. Yeah, you know exactly. (laughs) And people always forget that. Like clients, they just don't understand, right? They think you're just pocketing 500 dollars, but that's just not the case. And so, just you know, being being aware of your numbers is so important in terms of what your bottom line is going to be at the end of the year. And I love that you sat down with a third party, you guys. It doesn't have to be your CPA. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be anyone. But maybe just have someone else look at your numbers for you, because we're a lot of times too close to our numbers and too close to our art and our creativity that we'll put that above and beyond, or like putting the the quantity of the amount of sessions that we're getting out there versus, you know, the quality we could provide, the increased pricing we could provide. There's a lot of things you can do, especially at at any time during the year, you can always change and elevate your pricing and your overall brand. Now, in terms of pricing a session, Jody versus upselling, let's just dig a little bit more into that because there's a ton of different ways to do family photography. I'm sure you know. There's the first way of doing, you know, just like 
all digital images are included for X amount of dollars. And then there's the, okay, this, you know, this package comes with 25 digital images. And then maybe your strategic way of upselling is you always take more. So you try to take 25 to 50 images more when you're calling down the best images and you upsell those amount of images. You can do it that way if you're just offering digital products. Now, the other in-between is you offer, say, like 25 images with your package and the price that they're paying for the session. And you don't offer any more images, but you offer tangible products, right? Like prints or albums or things along those lines. And then I'd say the final category of family photographers is you're only charging for a session fee. And then you're selling all of the either digital products or tangible products separately. And they have to pay for those after you deliver kind of what, you know, like watermarked images or proofs, so to speak. So they get to see proofs. And then to get access to those proofs, they have to pay an additional fee, whether that's for digital prints or tangible prints. And that is called IPS or in-person sales. So I'd say those are the four main ways of pricing family photography. Do you agree? Do you have anything to add? And then what do you what have you found to be the best way to go about it with your business? Yeah. No, I think those are most of the models I've seen. Um, and I really, I know I have a good community of photographers that I know, and a lot of people do different things. And you kind of have to do what works for you and your time. Um, and based on what kind of income, you know, you need to bring in to help support your family. I used to have a few different session options based on how many images I delivered. I, I've always been all-inclusive, meaning I, I just do digital images. And then I offer an album where they can order prints and products, but they don't have to. And I really think the reason why I made that decision is that I am a busy mom. So that constant check-in back and forth, helping with their order, letting them pick out their images just didn't work for me a number of years ago. I do know that there are different, you know, gallery delivery and platforms that make it a little easier. So if that is the best model for you with upselling or hoping they, you know, in the end buy the larger gallery, then there are platforms to help you do that. But what works best for me is I have, you know, I have maternity sessions family sessions and motherhood sessions. They're all, they're all a very similar price point, but they get a number of images delivered. They can download them. And then I really push the print and product sales. And like I said, about 60% of my order, but, you know, charging, a, I would say I'm a higher price point for my area. There's definitely people higher than me. There's definitely a lot of people lower than me. But no, just kind of knowing that I'm being compensated for my time and that I don't have to overshoot each month. So I try not to take more than one to two sessions a week. I would say my ideal would be, you know, six a month. I'm probably between four and eight. It just depends on the month. Mm-hmm. You know, October, October, November might be a little bit busier. <laughs> but, um, but I am charging enough where I can, you know, feel like I am being compensated for the hard work I'm doing and getting the right client for me. So offering the digitals just works for me and my busy life. Is that the only way? No way. I mean, if you have a studio space to do IPS and meet with clients, that is a beautiful model to kind of upsell and make more money. I also think, you know, having that lower gallery 
at a lower price point, then allowing people to buy the full gallery and making a little more of a profit is extremely smart too. It's not what I do. And it doesn't mean in the future, I might not change that. But this is just the model that works for me. Love it. Obviously, all of these different models that you may use for your family photography business add a different kind of legal layer to your transactions with clients. And this has to deal with your contract. And I always tell people, if you just have like a base portrait photography contract, you have to go look at these clauses because it's really dependent on how you do business. If you are offering only a certain amount of images that are guaranteed in their digital gallery with their session price, you need to explain that in your contract. You also, (laughs) you also need to like the, the minimum or yeah, like the actual minimum number of photos they will get. I always tell people, you got to put that in there because it's going to be the thing that makes people the most irritated is if they are expecting 25 images and they only get 15, but then your contract was kind of open-ended And then you've like changed things on your website where you used to offer 25 and now you offer 15 and you forget when that client booked. I mean, it's a nightmare for family photographers if you're consistently changing things up. And especially I'd say, Jody, for new photographers, they just kind of, they they just forget those little things where, you know, your client isn't going to forget, but you're consistently changing things on the back end of your website and how you're you know, publishing mini sessions or things along those lines and their clients are taking notes. So I always tell people, you got to be crystal clear in your contract. How many images are they going to get, if any? Mm -hmm. You can go above and beyond if you want. And then I always say be open-ended if they can purchase additional things separately. And like Mm -hmm. Jody said, it's not like I'm not open to the idea later on. Um, so I would suggest if you're in that position as a family photographer and you know, you guys, Jody's been in business for a while, but if she was starting out at like one to two years into business and she was like, what do I need to put in my contract? I would tell people the, you know, give them a minimum number of what they're going to receive. I would always suggest over delivering on that number by at least a couple photos. So they feel like you've done them a service and you're like the good person. And then have open-ended language that says, you know, if available, additional digital photos will be available, you know, for an additional fee and tangible or, you know, print orders and album orders may be available for the Mm -hmm. client at an additional cost as well. Like just lay it out there where it's like, if available, you can purchase for an additional fee. And I always tell people do not put the fee in your contract <laughs> because it can bite you down the, the bite you on bite. Oh my gosh, Daniel, cut that. <laughs> I always tell people don't put the actual price of what the additional fee is going to be in your contract because it could bite in the butt later down the line when say inflation occurs, like we have happening right now in 2022, like crazy. And inflation happens every year, you guys. But I think we just forget that, okay, you know, it did uh, an upsell of 25 additional images last year was an additional $150, but I want to increase it to 250 this year. As long as your clients haven't seen those numbers anywhere and you're only explaining and communicating those numbers to people upon delivery of their images in the online gallery, you're golden. 
and you've had kind of open-ended language in your contract surrounding that. So just a little legal tip for you all to have that type of language in your contract. And Jody, any anything else that you would suggest that people just make clear to clients when it comes to what they get with the price they paid, you know, to you yeah. versus additional amounts? I know, for example, you know, with albums and stuff, you guys just make sure they have some type of like contract that they're signing after the fact for purchasing an album from you, right? Because, and maybe Jody, you could explain this a little bit. Like there's a lot of time and energy that goes in, in that's involved with making an album and you don't want clients to like be dissatisfied with them and they kind of need final approval and those type of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's really important to make sure that the deliverables is like an actual subhead, right? Mm-hmm. In your contract and people know exactly what it is they're getting. When I have people order albums, prints, and products through their pick time gallery, I do have to approve everything. So it's really great because I have to look at it before the order goes through. Ooh, love so, it. Yeah, so that's great too. And there, there's a markup. I mean, it's a retail markup and it's also a markup for me taking time to go through everything. But if you really want people to come back to you, I really think they need to print things, get them on the walls of their home. They need to see them every day, you know, have an album on their coffee table. That's really the way people fall in love with their imagery, in my opinion. So yeah, absolutely. So I think there's additional things you guys to keep in mind, legally speaking, in your contract, being super clear with amount of images. If you have, Mm -hmm. if you are absolutely going to implement into kind of your business model as a family photographer that they are able to get prints in your online gallery and that kind of like hookup is available through, you know, pick time or pixie set or um, cloud spot. There's all kinds of different, you know, online gallery delivery platforms out there, but usually all of them can hook up to a professional printing company and they just do it all for you. You have to set it up but then they can, you know, do it all for you and send automated emails out like Jody was saying. If that is your business model, make sure you have a clause in your contract surrounding what that looks like. They can purchase products on your site. Here's, you know, your guarantee if something were to happen, you know, manufacturing wise or during shipping, how that's all going to play out. Those type of things you just want to put in your contract or you want to just have them sign like a little additional addendum or something upon purchase that they agree to the terms and conditions of their purchase in your online you know, gallery sale platform. For mm-hmm. albums in particular too, you guys, I always suggest you go look at an album contract because it's going to have clauses in there surrounding the album designing process and like actual printing process. It can be um, albums are expensive. I will I will let people know. <laughs> uh, they really are. And if you're investing, you know, five hundred to a thousand to two thousand dollars in a big, huge coffee table album that is, has leather binding and is beautiful, people need to know your process for making that, and also, you know, what their roles and responsibilities are for approving the pages in your album, how long it's going to take for you to design it, you know, what's refundable, what's not, what happens if there's like a shipping delay, all of those things need to be outlined in an album contract as well. So I just wanted to throw that in there that 
if you do offer kind of tangible products in addition to your digital products, you just need to make sure those are covered either in your original family photography contract or just an additional supplement contract if they do plan to purchase that kind of tangible product from you. Yeah, that is such good advice. You know what I also do have in my contract? And I'd be curious to have you look at it and tell me if it's worthy of being there. But because I offer a digital product, it does ask them to only print at a professional grade printer. I mean, I know, I realize I can't control that. But the reason I have that in there is I would... If let's say a client that I worked with decided to go get their images printed at CDS, right? They printed them at CDS. Then the reason I have it in there is they can't come back to me and complain about the quality because I already put it out there that I recommend a photographic grade printer. So yeah, those type of clauses are super important. We have them in our contracts. I love that kind of language. Another thing that actually I, I recall popping up in a Facebook group last week was somebody had a client who zoomed in at like 100% and blew it up <laughs> to like an 11 by 14 image. And they were uh, like, it's grainy. Yes. You're like, um, you're like yeah. It's going to be that fixated because it won't be that zoomed in. <laughs> you're like, yeah, no, duh. Um, yeah. So yeah. to ex- make sure you're covering yourself, I would always just have a little bit of language in your contract surrounding, you know, it's the the actual image that is delivered is yeah. usually you know the resolution is yeah. good for up to x amount of print so that you're only really guaranteeing it's available for probably like i don't know so you know like an 18 by i don't know what that would be 30 18 by 24 maybe yeah yeah some like big canvas that you can imagine you know, like a a two foot by a three foot is probably the amount of quality that you want to guarantee. And then I know photographers have language surrounding if you are trying to print at a larger file size, or you're zooming in beyond the image that was sent to you, please contact photographer to ensure that one, it will work. And two, that they can potentially increase you know, the quality of the image as well. Because we export, you know, to a certain amount. And sometimes you can export to a higher, you know, quality resolution as well as a photographer. So just kind of having those baselines in your contract is really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have had, I would say, you know, something that has come up for me is people either printing them like you said, like zooming in or printing them at a place that just doesn't offer a high... um, a great print product, you know? So just that's another, that's another point in, in being that I can talk about that during the session. Like why ordering through PicTime when I use Richards, who's my favorite photo lab, why I recommend that? Like why their quality is so good because it's really designed as a photographic grade print. So those are yeah. things I think it goes back to that education component with your clients. Absolutely. And then just covering yourself legally in your contract. <laughs> right? being like, I yes. will only guarantee my colors and my resolution and everything yes. that's going to come through, yes. through yes. the professional company. If you go print and shutterfly and you're trying to put it on some like wood framed, I don't know, moon, <laughs> you know, shape, like I'm not going to guarantee it's going to come out perfectly. So... Oh my gosh. <laughs> the last <laughs> I've I honestly have had that someone tried to print it on like a Montana shaped 
like wooden canvas kind of thing. And (laughs) (laughs) like, it's smart. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And they were trying to make it as a gift for another family member. But the, you know, like they needed additional like space on the side and all of those different things to be able to like move their photo around. Like it didn't perfectly fit on this particular like image or I would say like product they were trying to print. Anyway, I just, I digress. It was, it was a situation where I'm glad I had in my contract that they needed to contact me in order to print it accurately. The last thing I want to touch on here before we get going, and I so appreciate all of your time today, Jody, is memberships. Because I think this is becoming more and more of a thing in family photography. Lots of mm-hmm. photographers used to just offer like single sessions and you had to like purchase single sessions separately. But as someone who just had a baby last year, yeah. I can see the, you know, honestly, like why I would want to bundle sessions together. Oh, I can absolutely. It's enticing. It's enticing to me as a new mom. Like if I was booking someone for a membership or like a bundle of photography sessions and getting it at a discount. Say you do a newborn or a maternity session first, right? And then like a lifestyle newborn session. And then they have the option to do a family session at, you know, anytime between the, you know, six to 12 months after birth. That's pretty enticing to new moms where it's continuity with the same photos that I'm probably going to print and put in my house. So the imagery and look and the feel is all the same. I'm getting a discount for sessions that I'm probably already going to book for my family. But if I'm bundling them together and I'm booking them all at the same time, that's enticing to me to get a little bit of a discount off of those. So I would love to know what you've seen others offering in terms of things like this, like memberships or your take on memberships, uh, if you've ever mentored somebody that is really interested in that. Yeah, I mean, I think having some sort of packages or mentorships, particularly with maternity, newborn, and then milestone sessions, like Mm -hmm. six month or one year, is a brilliant way to not only, you know, ensure that you're going to see these families at certain points. So it kind of extends, right, your availability and it makes sure that you're booked out but it also helps you form a relationship with them, which means they'll probably book you for a family session, you know, when the baby's two or when the baby's three. So I think they're a brilliant idea, especially bundling the newborn and the maternity. I mean, that is a great way to make sure the client has a, you know, cohesive look and a cohesive vibe for their session and also just be a part of that special time in their lives. So I know that I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a package or a bundle for me, but I'm currently not doing newborn sessions, um, mostly because of um, COVID protocols in California. Yeah. But when I was, so pre-COVID, I offered a substantial discount on their lifestyle newborn Mm. if they booked me for maternity. So it was great because, you know, I got to produce these amazing images for them of of such an amazing season when they were pregnant and then got to see them again when the baby arrived. So... I think bundling packages is a brilliant business plan. Yeah, I do too. And the good news is, is there's a contract for this. Uh, (laughs) So having, you want a different contract, right? Because you're kind of putting three to four sessions together under one contract. Uh 
And Uh it's important to be clear, like if they, you know, had the child early and they can't do the maternity session, do they get like an additional session after their newborn session? Then do they get two milestone sessions versus one? How long do they have to use the session? So like you said, Jody, I'm glad you brought this up. You're like, they're more likely to book me, you know, when the kid is two years or three years old for a family session. You don't want your rescheduling to be unending and in infinity and perpetuity because you want people to book you again. So with memberships, the biggest thing that I've seen memberships are bundling package pricing is having deadlines on how long they can reschedule for. And then I would say cutting it off at like a year or 18 months of age so that, you know, if, if for some reason they continually rescheduled, I always say like limit it to one reschedule a piece and they have to like notify you and kind of how all of that works, like timing wise too. They need to notify you within 30 days prior to, you know, the milestone sessions on when they want to do them so they can get on your calendar There's a lot of different nuanced things that need to go in that type of membership contract for family Mm -hmm. photography, but I think it is a brilliant business model. And Jody, I would say it's probably easier to upsell at the end of it when you're like, here's an album with everything. For sure. (laughs) And they're like, of course, of course, I want my maternity photos, my newborn photos, and my six month photos, like all in one album. And I can just show people on my coffee table, like the progression of the past year of my child's life. Wow, that's such a beautiful idea. You've got me thinking now. It's like page photographers coming out right now, not just page uh, (laughs) legal page. (laughs) You guys can tell I love family photography as much as Jody. She's just a a master at her craft and an artist. And I used to do it. And it's fun to talk about like what I used to do and maybe what I would do now if I were to do it. (laughs) Um, Jody, any final advice to family photographers out there? Anything business wise or, you know, protecting themselves wise? I mean, you're just a wealth of information as a family photographer. So I'd love to hear your last little tidbits. You know, I, I just really think like offering amazing client and customer service, under promising, over delivering, and just really honing in to what you're best at and letting that be portrayed in your work is really what's going to elevate your business. And don't sell yourself short. You know, don't try to cut too many corners because it is a business. And I think far too often as photographers, there's that emotional connection and that aspect to it. So it's easy to forget that this is a business that's providing for your family. So make sure that it is worth your time and that you're compensated and that from a legal point, you know, you're covering all your bases. And I I really feel like when all that is managed, it just allows you to enjoy it more and really kind of just dive into your art. So Mm. that would be my best advice is just make sure that back end is is managed whether you have to hire out to do you know for someone else to do that whatever that looks like for you I have a virtual assistant you know leave leave room for what it is you love about your business and really focus on that Mm. I, I seriously could not have said it better because it's competitive the photography world is competitive I don't think there's any ways (laughs) way around it. (laughs) It's saturated. And as Jody said, focusing on your craft and your art is going to make you better than your counterparts is going to help your brand, help you book more, you know, ideal clients. 
And that's really the key to success as a photographer as well. So getting all that back and stuff figured out so that you can focus on what you do best and what you love the most, which is taking the beautiful photos and finding the best locations and doing it in the perfect lighting and composing that, you know, shot absolutely perfectly, you know, behind the camera and then editing and spending, you know, quality time editing because you want to produce that beautiful image to your clients in their digital galleries. So I love that. Love that. Jody, where can everybody find you? I'm sure some people might have more questions too. So where can they reach out to you? So I, I'm on Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram. And my Instagram is Jody Lynn Photography, J-O-D-I. L-Y-N-N photography. I really am not on Facebook much these days. <laughs> that may change. <laughs> I'm just busy. Um, and then through my website, I have a contact me form. Um, I'm also, I teach these amazing retreats with a colleague. We teach all around the United States. It's called the Gather Retreat. And I am just loving them. We didn't start doing these actually till right when COVID hit. And the thing I've really realized about bringing entrepreneurs together and women together is that I think we all just sometimes want to feel a sense of community and feel like we have someone to kind of bounce ideas off of and get creative with. So these retreats are really fun. We have a couple coming up. We have one at the Oregon Coast um, in September and one in Stanley, Idaho in July. So there's a couple spaces left. I think one for Stanley and two for, for Oregon, but you can find me there. I'll be back at Evolve this September too, which is going to be super fun. And yeah. Perfect. Well, yeah. you guys know I'll link up all of Jody's educational resources, her website, her Instagram, and our show notes. Uh, go check out her retreats. I love small, intimate workshops and retreats. I think they're very important to build upon the business that you already have and make it even better. And learning from educators like her is really invaluable. So go check that out. Jody. thank you again for your time. And you guys, I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Legal Page Podcast. See, I told you being legally legit isn't so scary. Be sure to visit thelegalpage.com for all show notes. And it would be super awesome if you could head over to iTunes and leave a review. Last but not least, don't forget to join my free Facebook group for unlimited legal and biz Q&A. Chat soon, Legal Pagers.